Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. I'm Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard, your host. Welcome back and happy, I hope, day after the election. I'm recording this uh, on Monday, so I have no idea what the results are going to be, but um, I do hope you enjoyed my little surprise mini-sode, and I'm proud of all of you who voted. Good job. Now, I did get that Facebook group up and going, so we have a new private Facebook group. You just search for Leveling the Playing Field group and click join. There are two questions you'll have to answer to get in, and I'm taking those answers very seriously, so make sure you do that, and hopefully we can get some good conversations started. This week's guest is Janice Burke. Janice has been the CEO of the Harris County Houston Sports Authority since 2006. She became the third chief executive and first woman to hold the position since its inception. In addition to overseeing the billion dollars of bond debt service for Houston's professional sports stadiums, under her leadership, Houston has been awarded major sports events, which include U.S. Olympic trials, collegiate tournaments, numerous national and world championships, AAU Junior Olympics, and the Transplant Games of America. Um, They are also about to have uh, the Final Four back um, and... They are very excited for the World Transplant Games. In addition to sitting on the board of directors for the National Association of Sports Commissions, Janice has also been recognized locally by Conference USA and Rice University for her outstanding contributions and achievements as a woman in the Houston sports industry. Identified by the Texas Executive Women's Association as a woman on the move and recently named one of Houston's 50 most influential women. Prior to her time at the Houston Sports Authority, she worked in hospitality and events. And it's a pretty amazing story. Um, She does not have a college degree. And, you know, I think her story just proves that you can, you know, work your way up and and do it if you want. I hope you enjoy this episode with Janice Burke. Hi, Janice. Hi there. How are you? I am great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. I hear it's beautiful there today. Perfect day. Um, Yes, it doesn't get much better. This is why we live in Houston, Texas for days like this. We are uh, we are below seventy degrees, or were this morning for I don't know quite a long time. So I think fall has finally hit Tampa. Yeah, I think you guys have similar uh, weather to us. Mm. So let's jump in with how did you fall in love with sports? Well, I was always an athlete um, and tried you know different sports growing up but really didn't think I was going to make a career out of it. That kind of happened by accident. What sports did you play? Um, I did roller skating, competitive roller skating, believe it or not. Which Wait, is what? Very, <laughs> I know, which is very <laughs> similar to, um, to ice skating where they, you know, they do the dance and the pairs and singles. And I did that and made it to nationals. And, um, and then as I became a teenager, I kind of wanted to try other sports. So I was a swimmer. Um, I was, I, I did diving. 
Um, in fact, I held our high school diving record for like 20 years or something crazy until they took the diving boards out of the pool. <laughs> oh, wow. Where did yeah, you, so, where did you grow up? Sterling Heights, Michigan. Oh, yeah. That's different so, than Houston. Yes. Very, very different. So I did that. Um, so again, kind of, a, um, a competitive athlete, I did dance and pom-pom and all kinds of different sports and different activities, but I didn't really think about making a career out of it. And it kind of came up, um, I guess I kind of came up a, a different way. I, I was in the hospitality industry for many years and, and I did that. And then I um, went to a convention visitors bureau where we sold a bigger market. Instead of just selling a hotel property, we were selling a whole city or in this case, we're selling three counties. And so um, I did that and, and, and sports was always a part of it. When I was in the hotel business, we always had sports um, teams, NFL, NBA, um, various um, amateur sporting um, groups. So sports was always kind of a part of what I did um, in the hospitality industry. And then when we, when I went to selling large markets and helping cities brand and market themselves, um, sports was always a part of it. Did, um, well, where did you go to college? Well, I didn't. I always say I, I, um, I went to the school of hard knocks. Um, (laughs) so my, um, mother, um, uh, became really ill and, uh, there was just me and my brother. And so I chose to stay with her and she passed away at 42. Um, she had breast cancer. so So, um, by the time that whole ordeal was over and, um, and kind of got through that. Um, I just felt at that point in time, I, I got married, had kids, and I just kind of left the whole college dream. But I did have scholarship offers, and um, I've never regretted it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish, you know, I would have had that experience, of course, but I never regretted the choice because I felt like my mom really needed me, and I'd had no regrets when she passed away. Sure. I, you know, so. Yeah, of course. What, um, when you weren't, you know, with your mom, were you at that point in the hotel industry or in a different, let's say, service business? Um, no, that came later. I um, and I started in the hotel industry um, and I felt like, oh, gosh, I can do this. And this sounds like kind of a fun job and I like people. And so I started in the hotel industry, but that was after long after my mom passed away. What, um, how did you, how did you learn all of the business mechanics? I mean, this is something that like, you know, even after going to college, I'm like, I don't know how, like, what are the ways to run a business, right? This little podcast has become like a little business. So, um, try, you know, trying to learn all of those things. How did, how did you learn? Like, did you do anything outside of the workplace that, kind of shored up some of your knowledge on certain aspects? Well, um, of course, yeah, continuing to um, take different courses and and learn different um, business acumen um, type 
um, you know, online or through the hotel industry, they do a lot of training, but I will say, um, and I tell a lot of moms that are wanting to get back into the workforce, having four kids and juggling, um, all of that and, you know, keeping up with everything because I always volunteered or did a lot of um, different things. That is, that teaches you a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> teaches you how to prioritize and how to have patience and how to get the best out of it. You know, when you're mm-hmm. trying to get a two-year-old to do what you want them to. I mean, so I always tell moms that, that feel like they don't have experience, that you have a lot of experience, <laughs> um, probably more than, than you realize. And so well, a family is basically a business, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's yes. not really helpful when, you know, your business unit only involves a cat who brings in no money. I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I th- I mean, I think that's great, right? To get that message out, especially to women, you know, or men, because I do know a few of the, the stay-at-home dads. Um you know, to get them back into the workforce if they want. Oh, yes. And I think um, as a woman in the sports industry, I didn't start out in the sports industry. I kind of shifted over, but I always felt too like just enjoy the journey because everybody is so anxious to have a title and have a corner office. And for me, I just wanted to um, do the very best job at whatever job I was given. And I started very entry level in the hotel industry and just wanted to bring value and, and, and again, not be so focused on what's going to happen in the future that I couldn't enjoy the moment. Right. I think that's a good lesson too, that I probably need right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and it's tough because sometimes you're, you know, especially, um, if you've gone to school and you have a degree in, you know, whether it's sports management or whatever that degree is and you get out and you're so excited and so anxious to start in that field and, and many times are starting at the bottom, maybe not doing the exact job you want to do, but, um, or, I, I, again, or waitressing for two years while you're licensed as right. an attorney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which happens to, you know, a lot of, a lot yeah. of young ladies that are out there and, and, you know, and then starting a family and you go through that and trying to juggle all of that. So I just always try to, no matter what position I'm in, um, do the very best I can learn as much as I can and bring real value to the, to my employer. Yeah. I think that's so smart. Um, hotels and sports are always interesting and I feel as though you must have a million stories of the craziness that may or may not occur in hotels with sports teams. Um, you know, particularly pre camera phones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, these guys are on the road and, and every sport is a little different. Um, Back when I worked in the hotel, the NFL would come through and um, they would do bed checks, believe it or not. And, and they would yeah. double up the guys and <laughs> they'd go around at 10 o'clock. OK, we went, the phone shut down and went everybody in bed. Now, whether they stayed or not, uh, I guess is another story. But um, and then with basketball, they would come in and they'd be out till all, all hours of the night and wandering in about three or four o'clock in the morning. Oh my gosh. Um, and we, you know, and so it's, uh, they were, they were both really different as far as their structure. Um, but 
you know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, all of those those guys have to learn to um, to be on the road. They're war- road warriors and uh, to stay focused. And it's really hard when you're not at home and in your own bed and you're you're traveling a lot. Oh, for sure. I mean, even three days of travel for me wrecks me sometimes. Um, and like, yeah. I- I'm that crazy person who like I've got like all of the earplugs, all of the eye masks, the white noise, like every everything. Yeah, and I think, you know, people don't understand, too, what a big business it is. So, um, you know, they when they come in, they're regimented on their meals and, um, and then like football, especially, and they have an offense room and a defense room and they're studying and um, right up until, you know, they get on the bus and load to go to the stadium to play. So I really did get to see a lot on that side of it, um, working on the hotel side. Sure. It's like it's a mini convention, basically, within mm-hmm. your hotel. Uh, I know because I have to I do the contracts for our organization with all of the hotels. So I'm like, oh, my God, look at all the rooms you need. Um, well, and some and some are more organized than others, mm-hmm. you know, and um, some teams I could always tell the ones that were probably going to go pretty far um, just because uh, there's this sort of system of. And you can and you can see it from an outside perspective of every person has a job. It's important, no matter whether you are the person that's licking envelopes and you know and and sending out mail or uh, whether you're the the actual player on the field or the coach or or whatever. Um, everybody has a job, and everybody who has the mindset of we want to get our team that's back of house in front of house to the Super Bowl or to the World Series or whatever, those teams that kind of work in unison and realize that everybody's position is important really do the best. Yeah, for sure. Um, What is your, this is going to sound very random, what is your number one tip for people who have to travel for work? Gosh, it is, um, hmm. I don't know. What is my number one tip? Um, you travel I, a fair amount now. Yeah, I travel a lot. Um, I try to make the most out of my travel because when I'm traveling, um, we're either bidding for something, presenting, trying to win a piece of business for our city, mm-hmm. or we're going to a convention where we're going to be talking to a a lot of different decision makers. And so I want to make the most out of my time when I'm in that city. And so I guess no matter what it is, my company is spending money to allow me to travel and they're putting faith in me that um, I'm going to be prudent and I'm going to make the most of that trip. That's very good. I like to stack meetings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which I ended because, up doing Because, recently. you know, you might, you might be going for one purpose, but you might not have a couple other clients or a couple other reasons to be in that in that destination. So when you moved on from the hotel industry, um, what was your next step? Um, I went to work for the convention and visitors bureau and, um, basically, and that was really pre internet. I mean, a, a lot of meeting planners depended on a convention visitors bureau back then because they couldn't just Google, um, all the hotels that are located next to this venue. And so they really depended on that local, um, team boots on the ground to help them 
pull off a big convention. It's changed a little bit, um, but there still is a need for a convention visitors bureau because um, the hotels are just concentrating on their hotel. But if they need to bring in a big piece of business that needs transportation and needs um, fan fest areas and like who's going to work on that, you need an outside party that, you know, um, the hotel general manager doesn't want the hotel working on that. So that's really the purpose of a convention visitors bureau. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, we always had a sports initiative where we would, you know, try to bid for a men's final four and bring it or, you know, the AU junior olympics or you know any number of events so was this in houston or um nope i i i live i worked for the convention visitors bureau in detroit i worked for the harrisburg um hershey convention visitors bureau i worked in san antonio and then um and then i was recruited to come to houston to do just sports so harrisburg is interesting (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a you know, it says capital um it's like it's a very cute city i love that city uh i lived on north front street for oh, a really? year i did okay. i did uh my last year of law school because i was at um, um penn state dickinson in carlisle and so yeah yeah we That's um a great law school thank you <laughs> um, we, they were doing renovations or something to our main building. So we had some strange temporary building and I was like, well, I might as well live in Harrisburg because I was working for the gaming control board right after they had just basically started up. And, um, yeah, it's a funny little city. My sister still lives there. Um, but I do love the little Island with the baseball team. Yes, it's great. And, and they've got the um, soccer ice hockey mm-hmm. and soccer. Now they did have soccer, the soccer went away, um, went away but mm. yeah, they, for a while they did have soccer and it was funny because when I worked there, we were just, my office was a few blocks from the Capitol, which is a beautiful capital. I don't know if you've been inside mm-hmm. of it. It's one of the prettiest capitals um, in the U S I think. But um, so I used to have to go up there you know, for different tourism related issues or challenges or whatever we were working on. And so one day my um, legal counsel said, um, you're spending a lot of, a lot of time at the, at the Capitol. I think we, we need to register you as a lobbyist. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Never thought of myself as a lobbyist. <laughs> right. I'm just going to try to work with these um, legislators because we have, you know, this issue or that issue. And yep, that's pretty much a lobbyist. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it, um, it reminds me a lot of Springfield, Massachusetts, for whatever reason. And um, I think because it's just kind of like, it still hasn't really popped yet, you know, um, as a city. Yeah, I mean, they, they um, friendly people, they have great... Um, Great views with that river, as you know, if you mm-hmm. lived right there on Front Street. We actually, my husband and I have a home on Second Street still because oh, okay. he runs a business up there. Oh, um, interesting. You've probably so been to where my time. sister works. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know the name of it off the top of my head. I'd have to look because I can never <laughs> remember. But yeah, she's been at a couple of like those restaurant bars on Second Street. Mm-hmm. So. so, and they have that really nice Hilton downtown. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed that. That was my first time being a CEO. And um, I can remember 
because I was the number two or three, depending how you looked at the org chart, um, when I was in Detroit at their convention and visitors bureau and kind of overseeing sales and marketing. And, and anyway, they called and they said, we're looking for somebody who might be willing to come and be a CEO. And it was this search firm. And, um, I flew out to meet them and, but, but before I flew out, they had me take this test online. And at this point in time, I'm like a single mom. I've got four kids and the dog's running in and out because I wanted to make sure I took the test when I was not on work time. So I did it at home. And I said to everybody, okay, you guys, I'm going to, I'm just going to pop in the, and we had this little office at our house. I'm going to pop in the office um, for about an hour and, um, and then I'll be out. Okay. And everybody said, okay. And anyway, um, it's, it's, it's timed. And so you have to answer all these questions and it's time. Like, what would you do if you were a CEO? And I'm thinking, I don't know. I was, I've never been a CEO, but I'm answering the best I can. And the dog's running in and out and the kids are like, Hey mom, can I have a popsicle? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so we, I finish it, send it. And I thought, Oh, I'll never hear from them again. <laughs> That's the end of that. Um, and then I got a call and, and they said, well, we'd like to meet you. And, um, could you fly wherever it was? I don't even remember. And, and meet us. And so I said, sure. So I sit down, I'm kind of nervous. And I sit down and this gentleman says, well, you know, we do all these big CEO searches and we, and you know, I've been doing this for 10 years and this, and, that. and I'm getting more intimidated. The more he's talking, right. the more intimidated. And, and then he says, um, and I have to tell you, I always ask that first question. Um, and the first question, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something about, finances. And if you had a CFO that was struggling and, and I don't know, it was some question around finances, um, which I was a sales and marketing girl. So, you know, I'm just like giving the best answer I can. And Mm -hmm. I don't know what I would do, you know, so I type up my answer. Well, anyway, so he starts on question one and I'm thinking I'm sinking in my seat and I'm thinking, (laughs) oh no, (laughs) he's probably, he's probably thinking it's the worst answer I've ever gotten. And so anyway, so he's kind of going through all of his credentials and then he says, And Janice, I have to tell you, that's like the best answer I've ever received. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I'm like, really? And he he goes, yeah, I always ask that question. So all of a sudden, like my shoulders kind of got a little bit, you know, taller. Okay, I can do this. I can do this. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. I know. So, um, and then again, you know, I'm going down this path of, um, going up against other CEOs and, you know, you go through so many interviews and they bring you back and then you go before a board. And I'd never worked for a board because I had reported to somebody. So um, all of it was very um, scary and intimidating. And then I got the call that they wanted to offer me the position. And I was just so excited. It was my first time being a CEO and I picked up and moved and didn't know anybody in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and moved. Um, two of my girls were in college. The other two, my two youngest came with me and it was a big transition for them. They were in middle school. Mm. And, um, and I, and I remember thinking, wow, this is kind of, this is, this is kind of hard. You're, you're picking new doctors. You're trying to learn streets. You're picking up and moving out of state where you know, no one, you don't have friends that you're going to just run into in the grocery store. And, um, but at the same time, so excited. And, um, I had been on a lot of national boards and um, I volunteer for different committees and things. And honestly, I started to drop off all all of those. Number one, to help my kids transition with the big move um, and get them through it. And then two, I really just wanted to do a great job as a CEO. And I knew it would take all my concentration 
and now reporting to a board, which was different. So, um, so a couple years into it, I get this call from a search firm. He's a friend. He was a friend of mine. He had done searches for me up in Detroit, and I thought he honestly he was just calling to say hello because it had been a couple years. And um, and so it took me a week to call him back, and because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ah, he just wants to say hi, and I'll catch up with him later, and I'm busy. So I finally call him back, and he's like, so Janice, I just wanted to check on you, and how's Harrisburg? Are you liking it? And oh yes, and da 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 da, I'm going off about all the different things we're doing, and how great it is, and then he gets really quiet. And it suddenly dawns on me, I wonder if he's calling me about a job. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, um, you're not calling me about a job, are you? And he goes, yeah, actually I was. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember in my mind thinking, there's just no way I'm not picking up and moving again. It's only been a couple of years unless, you know, and I had a couple cities in my mind and one of them was San Antonio because at that time they just had a great Convention visitor bureau. I think they still do. I'm, I'm, I've been out of business, out of that side of the business for a while. But um, you know, they just had they were leaders and they were booking all of this great business and they had a, a lot of money to spend and it was just a kind of one of those marquee ones. I thought, yeah, unless it's that, and, and named a couple of cities in my mind quickly. Mm-hmm. And then he said San Antonio. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? So yeah. So then I interviewed um, and uh, ended up moving to San Antonio. Um, and again, that was a big move. My kids now were in high school. Right. <laughs> um, and I thought, okay, I'm going to stay here until they graduate. I'll be here at least six years, um, get them through school, give me enough time to really work in a, in a bigger market again. And, um, and two years into that, I ended up getting a call from, <laughs> from Houston and they asked if I would consider it. And like, I said, no, I, I can't, I can't consider it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, I just moved my kids. They're just adjusted. They love it here. And and uh, they're like, well, would you just fly in and talk to the search committee about branding and marketing and like different things that they could be looking for in this position? Okay. And I ended up flying back and forth many times, and it was probably about a six month process. And I started to fall in love with with Houston and just the opportunity. Um, they had just built these new stadiums. Our organization owns the stadiums and we're right. the landlords to the teams and and then all the, the sports marketing that we do. And so anyway, I um I ended up I ended up falling in love with it and deciding, yeah, maybe this is a good move and and um, picked up and moved again and I've been here gosh, going on thirteen years now. I'm gonna say something right now that probably is going to annoy a few of you, and I just don't care. It's holiday season. It's time to get your shit together and make those purchases. So I have an idea for you. Might I suggest a Holly and Tanager bag? Specifically, the professional. It is an extraordinary backpack designed to take the recipient from here to everywhere with luxurious style and effortless preparation. The ultra-wide shoulder straps adjust to fit and make carrying all of the necessities painless. The bag is made out of Italian leather, supple, soft, mill-grained cowhide with a luxurious touch, with beautiful gold and silver hardware that will never chip. And there are tons of interior pockets for all the organizing the recipient could ever desire. Or buy one for yourself. It's definitely on the top of my wish list this season. As a listener of Leveling the Playing Field, you get 15% off your first order. 
visit hollyandtanager.com slash LTPF and use promo code LTPF at checkout. Again, for 15% off your first order, go to hollyandtanager.com slash LTPF and use the promo code LTPF at checkout. Get those gifts ready. This brings up an interesting part of working. Now, granted, for much of this, you were with, you know, convention centers, but, you know, or boards, but in sports, you you have to move around a lot sometimes. Yeah, it's probably not not easy. It was a little easier for me because I, I wasn't depending on my, um, a spouse that had to get a job as well at the same time and coordinating all of that. At the same time, it's a big decision because I was uprooting my kids. Um, right. You know, so um, none of those decisions are easy and you have to weigh them out and I guess um, figure out if it fits into the career path and the direction you want to go. And in my case, I knew I was going to be paying for my kids college and um, it was a great opportunity to kind of advance. Sure. And um, my son was a senior in high school when we moved here to Houston and my daughter was a sophomore. Oh my gosh. And so it's a really tough age and, um, and a time to make those kind of changes for them. But at the end of the day, and they would tell you now they've gone off to college and come back and they live here in the Houston area. Um, and they both have great jobs, but they will tell you it wasn't easy, but it also taught them some life skills, uh, about what it's like to go and just walk into a room and meet people and have to network and, and all of those things. So there was some pluses that came out of it. Right. <laughs> Not that I would have planned it that way, but you just, you do the best that you can with those decisions. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know when I'm talking with students or people interested in sport and they're like, you know, I really want to work in Tampa. And I'm like, you need to open your eyes a lot wider than that, at least to get your first job. And then, mm-hmm. you know, as you go along in your career, you can be, I think, pickier. Although mm-hmm. those jobs also become um, less available because the higher up you go, the less people there are, right? So, right. Um, but it's just, it's kind of fact of life. Now, granted, Zoe isn't going to argue with me too much if I relocate her. Uh, but that's because cats don't really have a say in where they live. Um <laughs> But yeah, so, I always but, think about but, that with, you know, people right. who have significant others or um, children, how difficult that must be. Right. And so, you know, when we when we look around and you say, well, gosh, there's not a lot of women in high leadership positions. There's sort of a reason for that, too, because, um, again, you're trying to coordinate, especially if you're married or you have kids, you're trying to coordinate all of that family dynamic while making choices. And then, like you said, in the sports industry, there's not going to be as many choices in, in every city. Right. Right. And there are, you know, if there are some, it can be tricky. And I think that's a balancing act that anybody in a, a marriage and, and long-term committed relationship probably has to balance regardless of who it is, right. Which spouse or significant other it is that has a job opportunity Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, you have to take into consideration whether the types of jobs that your, um, significant other has are even in that area. Um, right. and, and the, uh, 
the many other factors of moving, which, you know, you have to be thoughtful about. And it's not necessarily like a, you know, super quick decision. <laughs> right, right. And yet, sometimes you don't have a lot of time to make the decision. Right. And so you're really grappling with that. Um, many and women, but I mean, right. I think, um, especially, especially women, cause typically, um, you know, the, the man is making a little bit more money or has a, you know, I mean, that's just a kind of the stats. So, well, and you um, and I, you and I know each other because of, uh, former guest, Emily Jansen, and she introduced us, I believe. And, um, yes. and she and I talked about this a little bit about, you know, women and, I've talked about this with a lot of guests is keeping women in the industry, right? Um, there's a drop off um, because of, especially in team sports, um, you know, if you're working for a club and it's one, it's hockey or it's baseball or basketball, there are just so many games and, and how, how we can adjust our ways of doing business and leading and managing to try and keep more women in. Right. Right. The hours, the weekends, the nights, you know, all of that um, plays a factor, I think. Um, So I don't think it's that men don't want women um, in leadership positions. I think it's just the dynamic and, and, um, well, I sometimes like said, think it's you know, men not wanting women in leadership <laughs> positions. Let's be fair sometime, here. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. But I mean, I've had a lot of really great um, mentors that are men mm-hmm. and that are really big Same. cheerleaders for women. So um, so it's not always that men are trying to keep women down. I think there's just um, there's a lot of different factors. And the more flexible, like you said, we can be, I think the more that we can encourage women that they can have a career. Right. I think, you know, a lot of the organizations are now starting to maybe say, okay, not all of our staff has to be here on game day. Or, um, you know, they have half days and stuff like that. They're more flexible working hours, whatever. And we're seeing with these younger generations, you know, that that balance is so much more important to them than it has been before, you know, that, um, your quality of life overall versus just working to live, right. Or Mm -hmm. living to work. Mm -hmm. I'm getting that backwards, (laughs) but regardless, um, it, you know, it's just a different mentality than say boomers. Yeah. And maybe, um, in a lot of ways, healthier, you know, um, I know that, Baby boomers um, many times are frustrated or having trouble relating mm-hmm. um, to the millennials or the Gen Xers. But um, in my case, we have a lot of them. You know, we have a lot of young people, and I think it's real healthy for the organization to have um, all different ages and all different, you know, diverse backgrounds. But um, I feel like in some ways the millennials have taught the older generation. Um, um, some some good lessons about um, having that work life balance. They've demanded it, and so yeah. um, some of the employers had to adjust. And some of that is really good, I think. No, I agree. I I think we I don't know. Our lives are finite and short, right? And we need to be able to enjoy with the people that we love and. 
that seems to be something I think that younger people, and I'm talking younger than me, I'm not considering myself young, but like younger people tend to have, I don't know, maybe they understand better. I, I read or saw something recently where it was like, you know, kid, millennials grew up with their fathers and mothers not always being at their baseball games and not always being at their swim meets and at like these big moments because they were working so hard and this generation doesn't want to be that like, Mm -hmm. and they want to be there for that. Right. And then I think, you know, again, that's why diversity is important. And then I think that the millennials or the younger generation can learn from some of the older folks that say, yeah, but life isn't like a microwave where you pop your hot dog in and it's done in 30 seconds. Um, (laughs) You know, you need to spend a little bit of time and don't be so restless and so anxious to move on and, 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 you know, I find that sometimes they're just so anxious to have a title in, in a bigger office and a bigger, you know, this and bigger salary and all, and all of that is important and it will come, but you also have to be somewhat patient and put your time in. Well, and to learn, right? I mean, right, right. That's the, the biggest, I think part of that is making sure you're learning what you, all you can, where you are. Right. And then, and also just being ready because you want to step in and you want to grow at a rate that you can handle and be successful. Right. And so, um, and so anyway, I think that it's um, both sides um, on both sides of those that I think having an office that is diverse really helps because especially if you have a culture where people are honest and they're, they're sharing and they're, you know, um, and they're coaching each other and cheerleading um, each other on. So, I, I, I hear a lot of complaints about uh, the younger generation. I actually think they bring a lot of um, perspective and a lot of energy. And I really, I really like working with them. Sure. What was it like transitioning from being on the, you know, hospitality and tourism side over, you know, and, and events really, um, and you're still doing events obviously, but moving over into sports focused and, and jumping into a sports authority? I think the biggest difference, um, from let's say a convention and visitors bureau to a sports commission where all they're doing is sports, um, on the convention and visitor bureau side, you're working with professional meeting planners that, you know, it's a professional job, it's a full-time job, and they a lot of times have a team of people under them. And so they're really doing a lot of the planning and you're the connector in the local community. On the sports side, you're sometimes dealing with um, second and third tier um, type sporting organizations that don't have a lot of money, a lot of expertise, or a lot of staff. And so you are actually helping them run the event. So um, there's a big difference. Um, you don't stand behind a merchandise table or, or uh, direct, um, you know, a bunch of volunteers, usually on the corporate side. On the sports side, it's it's very common. I mean, right. for Super Bowl, we had 10,000 volunteers here in town, but um, we always have three to 500, even on the smallest event. And so it's a very different, um, and both complement each other. Mm-hmm. Um, some sports commissions are under the Convention Visitors Bureau and they're a department of them. Um, but I think, 
even as a department, they operate a little bit different than just the normal sales department who is working with a professional meeting planner. And your sports commission, well, sports authority, I guess, is the name of it, but yours is a little different, at least than ours. So our sports commission does not own the stadiums. There is a separate sports authority that owns the stadium and runs the stadium. So yours is kind of like combined, correct? Yes. So we're a little bit different than probably almost all sports commissions around the country in that we own the debt service. We issued about $1.2 billion worth of bonds that we continue to oversee. Um, We are the landlords to the teams because ultimately we own the buildings. um, And so if they want to make physical changes to the building, um, then they need to come to our board of directors. For instance, when the Houston Rockets, um, when the Comets left, they wanted to change those locker rooms into kind of premium hospitality space for their um, for their VIP seat holders. And so they couldn't just make those changes. They came before our board, um, had to show the plans, Had our board had to agree on that. So we kind of are there um, for the citizens um, and watch out for for their benefit. Um, the citizens really feel like we're their organization to make sure that the buildings stay state-of-the-art, that um, we don't have to build new ones and tear them down after 20 years, that hopefully we can get a little bit more extended extended life because someone's watching out um, to make sure that they're kept up. So we that part is very different than most sports commissions who are just doing the sales and marketing side of things. Yeah, was- and, and, and our funding's different, too. Uh, a lot of sports commissions have to go out and fundraise or have membership. And we don't, right. you know, we don't do any of that because um, we get a portion of hotel tax and we get a portion of car rental tax that makes up about 60% of our budget. And then um, the teams pay rent and we have, we have different um, streams of dollars coming in um, for various reasons, but I'd say, you know, the majority of it is the, is the taxes. And so we don't, we don't go out and spend time trying to get members or, or, um, fundraise really for the most part, which is a little different than, than some of the other sports commissions, probably very different. Right. I know ours has to quite a bit. Does that mean that you don't have to fundraise for the big events that you pull into town? No, we still have to for those, for the big mega events, um, for Super Bowl, uh, after it was bid for and was decided it was coming to Houston, then there was a whole spin-off organization. Doesn't mean we let go of it. Our I still had seven staff members working mm-hmm. and on loan to them, but but it's almost like um a political unit, you know, when you're you're doing a political campaign and they gear up and for two years they have office space and they have, you know, mm-hmm. all of these people working and then you gear down when the campaign is over. It's similar with these big mega events. And so um and so they have to fundraise. Um we are lucky in Texas. We have some state funds that come in. Um, but even then, we with Super Bowl, that group, um, our local organizing committee raised $35 million and, wow. um, and then, you know, they also received about $35 million from the state. So um, there are fundraising efforts for those, for those type of events. And we 
I'm not saying we don't fundraise because we do and we own uh, a couple of our own events. Sure. Um, but it's just we don't have to, to do that day in and day out for our existence like a lot of the sports commissions. Right, right. Um, so we've had Claire Lessinger on as a guest in the past from mm-hmm. Tampa Bay Sports Commission. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she gets so, so, so excited about the big events, especially the women's final four. Um, so I know she's like in that mode right now. You all have some really exciting things that you've been doing. Um, you have a Houston Sports Hall of Fame that's being built. Is that correct? Well, it started um, with a sports awards show that we did our first and it's going to be an annual event, but we did our first um, inaugural event last year and we surprised the community. We surprised the media. Everybody was surprised because Houston didn't have a hall of fame. And so we had our first three inductees um, and it just so happens that all of their numbers were 34. So even, even, even though they were all different sports. So we had, um, uh, we had uh, three different, 34 numbers, um, Earl Campbell from the NFL. We had Nolan Ryan from the MLB and Hakeem um, Halajwan from NBA. And so um, with that, we thought, gosh, we're bringing them all together. They'd never even been in the same room together. <laughs> and we're bringing all the who's who of, 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 of sports together. We should do something bigger than this. And especially for like Earl Campbell, for instance, because he was an oiler, the oilers, eventually became the Tennessee Titans. Um, So the Oilers, a lot of those guys, they don't feel they're a, they're not a Houston Texan and they're not a Tennessee Titan. And so they're kind of a man without a country. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so anyway, we decided to to surprise them and, and announce that we're going to start this hall of fame and we're starting um, with a sidewalk. So they almost like the, um, the Walk of Fame in Hollywood. Sure. And so they have their autographed sidewalk piece and we lay it down. We did a special ceremony in the summertime and they could have their family out and everything. And then we gave them their rings um, at that event as well. And so that kind of became a secondary event. Uh, and it was really touching when Earl kind of teared up and he said, you know, now I can bring my grandson that I have a place to go to bring him that he can see, oh, he, my grandpa really did play in, in professional sports. And so it was so meaningful to them yeah. that, um, that we've decided we will extend it. And as we can, eventually we will have a bricks and mortar building, um, is my guess, but we'll probably hold off on that, um, for a while mm-hmm. because museums just take a lot of staff and a lot of money and, you know, um, so right now our hall of fame is the sidewalk, the rings will be on display. Um, we're, we're actually, have you ever seen Tiffany's in New York where they have those windows you can walk by and all the diamonds, you can see them from oh, the yeah. street. Yeah. But it's like that. Yeah. So we're going to kind of do that. And then we have a kiosk that will be um, where you can go up and you can get stats and, um, and, and different information on various players. So, or That's teams cool. or whatever. Leveling the Playing Field is brought to you this week by the San Diego State Sports MBA program. Gain hands-on sports industry experience while studying the analytical MBA toolkit in America's finest city. That is, of course, San Diego. With access to a premier alumni network and 
an MLB operations trip to the Dominican Republic, there are so many reasons why the SDSU Sports MBA program was recently ranked first in the world for student and alumni satisfaction by Sports Business International. It's the last call for applications. They're due right now for enrollment in early 2019. Go to sdsu.edu slash sports MBA. That's sdsu.edu slash sports MBA and fill out that application now. Get in for early 2019 at San Diego State Sports MBA. You are in the running for the World Cup, right? We are. So right now there are 17 USA cities that have made it into the final bid that was submitted. Um, But in 22 months, they will be uh, selecting 10 of that 17. So there are seven cities that will get knocked out. So we're working hard to make sure we have our place. And so are you all in... Are you kind of in that stage where you're going back and forth with FIFA and negotiating terms potentially and um, doing site visits and stuff like that? Like, where where are you with it? So U.S. soccer will be very involved um, along with FIFA, mm-hmm. um, but they haven't done those site visits yet. Um I think a lot of our work right now, or at least um, our approach here in Houston, is fundraising. That's when we will have to raise a lot of dollars. So we're in the community right now fundraising. We've set up an office. Um, We just named Chris Canetti, who is the president of the Dynamo team here, our MLS team, um, is not going to renew his contract, which is up in December of this year. He's going to come and be part of the World Cup bid. Um, efforts to make sure that people, um, whether FIFA offices, U.S. soccer, um, just in general in the United States, they they don't want to pass up Houston. And that's our job is to make sure that Houston gets some of those matches. That'll be very exciting for you all. It will. And there's some really neat legacy um, projects that that will come of that. Um, and so we're pretty excited and hopefully we are one of those cities that are selected. Yeah. Um, but we've got, we've also got college football playoffs in 24. We have a men's final four in 23. So very um, exciting. You also have world transplant games coming, right? We do. We did the national transplant games and worked with our hospitals. They actually are the ones that brought that bid bid to us. Um, I had never heard of transplant games. I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And it's anyone who's had a heart, lung, kidney transplant. Um, it, it could be a number of uh, liver transplant. Can be, you know, anybody who's had a medical transplant. Right. And then there's some living donors that actually come and, and participate as well. And the donor families, especially on the United States side, come and cheer them on. It's it's uh, quite an emotional event. Um, but anyway, we, we loved that event. Our community really enjoyed it. Our volunteers, if you ask them, of all the events you've done, what's your favorite? And many times, even if they've done Super Bowl or Final Four, many times people pick that event. Um, they just really enjoyed working on that event. So that was really um, interesting to find when I was doing research and being like, I didn't, I mean, I, 
you know, I know they have Paralympic games and I didn't realize that they had them for transplant. That's yeah, and fantastic. I think it's, it's fantastic for people that are, are um, trying to get their strength back after they've gone through these major medical complications and had a transplant. And I learned a lot about it. It's mm-hmm. not once you have a match and you have a transplant and, and let's say it's a heart transplant or a liver transplant and those those folks have passed away that are, you know, that are you're receiving their organs, how emotional that is for the family um, right. to know that their loved one is kind of living on. But also, I didn't realize that it's not over. Those patients still, they take medication the rest of their life to make sure their body doesn't reject the organ. And and so for them to be able to work out and participate in sports and work towards getting healthier, it's a really important part of their healing. Yeah, for sure. My um, When my dad passed, he was an organ donor, so... Um, from what I understand and getting any information from my family sometimes is a little tricky, but, um, his eyes had, or, you know, corneas maybe had been donated and my grandmother had received, you know, a letter from them, but I guess, you know, whatever they could, they was donated and it is, it's cool to, to hear about, I would love to find out if any of those people are still with us that'd be interesting to hear Um, yeah but that was like mm, 30 years ago so wow uh, that's neat though that you that you did that and we actually through the event raised a lot of awareness because what i found out is even though we have one of the largest medical centers in the world um and we have one of the largest states in the United States and all of these people, we were second to last in the U.S. Um, for donor registry. Um, oh, wow. Uh, numbers. And so we put that right into our bid. Look, uh, we realize that we're low and we're going to use this to be a platform and hopefully raise awareness. And when we first bid, we were hovering, I don't know, somewhere around three million um, when we first wrote the bid and put the bid in. And then um, today I was just looking at it. They're, they're well over 10 and a half million oh, donors. Good. So, you know, that because of that event and all of the mm-hmm. um, focus, as well as um, a lot of work that was done by, by local organizations. Um, it, it's not all because of the games, but it, the games just helped to, to give it a voice and right. give it some legs, you know? I um I remember in college, um, college was the first time that I thought of the you know because you know you get your license and you're you know an adult, and they're like, do you want to be a do- you know organ donor? Yeah, sure. But then the bone marrow registry um, was on site too, and I think mm-hmm. they go around, and so. You know, I've made sure to keep up with that as well, because you never know. You could mm-hmm. help somebody who really needs it. For sure. So that's a really, um, that's a fun event. And then we have a kind of a, another one that I've never done, but is we're starting to learn a lot about BMX. So we oh, yeah. had a piece of property, um, the city owned, and um, it's an area that needs some rebirth, and those kids in that area need a place that they can walk to and do something fun and something for them to focus on. And so we 
pitched the idea of a BMX park and um, lo and behold, that's what has come to fruition. We will be opening and doing a ribbon cutting um, on that BMX park in the spring of next year. So it's under construction now and it will probably be one of the best in the world, um, if not the best, and will become an international training site. And from that, we were able to book two national BMX competitions and a world championship. So, oh my gosh! In the next eighteen months, we'll be we'll be hosting all three of those. So we're pretty excited about that. So does that? And you know, I, I feel like I've seen these on TV. You know, like the the ones that cities and towns have. Maybe they were just kind of cobbled together or something. But does the one that you are creating and building, does it have like seating and facilities? Yes. So we built it with the thought in mind that we were going to hold big competitions. Um, so yes, there's, there's seatings and concession areas and um, it's a beautiful park that also has pump tracks and um, has the bowls. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like a skate park would yeah. uh, for the bikes to do uh, the freestyle um, portion of the bike um, competitions as well. So it's um, it's pretty exciting for that area. And USA BMX came in and worked with us. And one of the things that we were able to work out is so many free memberships for the kids in that area. Like mm-hmm. I said, it's surrounded by a lot of um, apartment complexes where those kids really need um, some some um, activities that they can do and not have to depend on mom and dad even to drive them where they can walk over. So um, we will have actual a lot of bikes that can be rented out um, for a couple of hours so kids can try it out and, and we'll have, um, coaching staff there. So, uh, that's, we're pretty excited about it. And we know that with it being in the Olympics now that that could be, um, just a great avenue for, for a lot of kids. Yeah, for sure. And what a, a great strategic, um, you know, proposition to put forth, you know, cause who thinks of, you know, you don't really think think about some of these alternative sports um, right? at all. <laughs> I mean, here right. you, you think of volleyball a lot, right? Because we've got beach and then, you know, we've got regular volleyball, right? So, I mean, that's kind of an alternative sport, I guess. I don't know. It's not really someone's going to send me hate mail for that. Um, but when, I mean, I'm guessing you also like worked with Parks and Rec as well on this or? Um, yes, there. There is a, um, a tax incremental zone board out there, and um, we worked with them, um, again, just trying to find ways to fund these kind of projects and be creative. And um, so, yes, we've lots of partnerships, um, and that's pretty typical. Mm-hmm. Every event that we do, we're trying to find a partner um, organization, and we're trying to give back to the community through the sporting event. And so I think one of the things that runs through our office um, and it, it, it's really something that is prominent on everyone's mind every time we book an event is how do we connect it to our community? How do we, how do we bring more than just the impact of the event? Mm-hmm. And um, whether it's, you know, when we do the SWAC, when we did the SWAC um, basketball tournament and there's 10 
schools, um, historically black universities that are part of the SWAC conference. And they came in and they set up um, tables and they waived registration fees where they could. Um, some of them have state laws that they couldn't, but right. all of those that could. And we had um, we had volunteer staff there um, because many of these kids that we bust in, we bust about a thousand kids in, um, and many of them they're it's they're they're a first generation of um, student thinking about going to college, and so it's scary. They don't have parents that went and know how to help them fill out the um, enrollment forms. And so having us there and, and, and then all of a sudden for them, for their eyes to be open and think, wow, there's like 10 schools in this room. They all want me really. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a really um, neat experience, but whether it's that or um, building a soccer field with proceeds that we have left over from an event in an area where kids really want to play soccer, but there's no green space to, um, supporting a women's shelter through a women's uh, competition that we might be doing. We, we are always trying to connect our events to our community. Oh, that's fantastic. I know Houston's a little, Houston and Dallas are, are two cities that I always think of are a little tough because they're so spread out. And at least when I've traveled there, and this is really years ago for a, a former position that I had, um, you know, it seemed like everything was really far from each other. And so your ability to kind of tie everyone in together and and bus people in, you know, is necessary because of how spread out everything is. Yeah, we're we're definitely a sprawling big, you know, mm-hmm. city geographically. <laughs> um, what we have worked on over the years and which has really changed as a footprint from even when I arrived 13 years ago is the downtown epicenter. So the convention center across from it is a now um, a, a green park where we do a lot of our fan fests and we flow out from the convention center into that park. And the the anchor hotels that are connected by glass walkway to that convention center and just the restaurants that have all come into that um, footprint, it has made for uh, a better experience for those that are coming in from out of town. Mm-hmm to get a taste of what Houston's like with, with the local restaurants kind of all surrounding that um, convention area versus um, having to get in your car and drive 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Um, people will wander out, but they want an epicenter. So it's kind of the spoken wheel. You need that. You kind of need that epicenter area or that gathering place. And then people will join groups, small groups, and they'll go on, they'll venture out. Um, but we have worked really hard at trying to create that because you're right. It can be intimidating when you go to a big city and everything is really spread out. Yeah. I mean, I know it's something Tampa's worked on, right? I, we're one of those cities that the downtown hasn't really had much going on there except for work <laughs> for a while. So they've really worked really hard on that. And it's cool to hear that, you know, and I'm guessing probably since I've been down down in Houston that it's changed. That's really cool. Um, well, yeah, even from 2004 when we hosted the first Super Bowl to um, this past Super Bowl that we hosted in 17, and they just had a huge difference. And and I think a lot of that is just the planning that's gone into trying to make sure that it's a it's a good foot footprint for visitors and. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, it is a different city. And I think this, the other thing is putting the stadium, strategically placing the um, MLS, MLB, and NBA stadiums in that downtown footprint mm-hmm. all around that convention area also has helped because people then get used to going downtown. And um, I wasn't here um, when those were built or when it was decided to place them there. So I can't take credit for that. But <laughs> but I will it's okay. say we'll that people, give you credit. <laughs> but I will say that people um, tell me that it was like it, it was like a ghost town where now that whole area where you see people walking to games and parking and um, it's changed that dynamic of that of the city. And now there's all kinds of apartments going up and housing and um, so at grocery stores. Mm-hmm. All of those things that make it a healthier downtown and better experience for visitors. It's it's always a little surprising to me um, how big of a deal it is to get a like a grocery store in in a specific area. I never thought about it because as a kid we had grocery stores. I was on Cape Cod; they were just like all over the place, whatever, and. You know, until you live in a city and you're like, wait, how do I get groceries now? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Where do I go? (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, So that's that's always great, too, because I know that those little food deserts, you know, it's not helpful for anybody, right? Um, Well, again, it just kind of creates a more vibrant downtown when you have dog parks and grocery stores and, you know, and mm -hmm. it's... Um, it's something that we were we were lacking. I think um, for those that haven't been to Houston in a long time, they they're usually surprised because it, it really has changed. That footprint is is much better now. What are um, what are some of the things that you are hoping that you'll be able to do over the next few years, aside from like those bids, but like for yourself from a professional standpoint. Um, well, I'm the incoming chair for our National Association of Sports Commissions, and so um, I want to do a good job with that. It's um, only one year, and so mm-hmm. you have a year to try to make um, an impact and a difference, and um, so I'm looking forward to that. I, I um, step in in April. The other thing that we've done in Houston is we started a WISE chapter, which was, is Women in Sports and Events, mm-hmm. and... Um, I was a founding sponsor of our organization and also went to each of the teams and um, asked them if they would also um, put money in to help us get off the ground. And they they did and have continued to support it. Um, And so that we've watched that grow from nothing to 200 members. And um, I'd like to continue um, as a board member on that, watching that grow and reach even more um, more ladies. Uh, again, just encouraging them and giving networking opportunities. Um, for me, it's been great because at my level, many times I'm dealing with the owners or the team presidents and not really filtering down to the um, more of the entry levels. Um, but through the different committee work and things that I've done, have actually become really good friends with a lot of um, these younger women that um, have aspirations to, to go high in their careers. And, and it's been fun to see how that has changed um, in our city, um, just the networking that happens now between all of the teams because because they've actually become, they have relationships and they've become right. friends, you know? Yeah, no, that's great. We, we just started the Tampa chapter too. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you part of that? 
Yep. I'm a member. Um, okay. yeah. Um, again, Claire <laughs> was a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, along with, um, some of the women at USF and, you know, each of the teams, um, was involved somehow. And our first event, I mean, it was incredible. Um, the number of women who I, I was just shocked and we just have so many sports related properties down here, whether it's associations or leagues or teams, um, you know, it, it was really, it was really cool to see. So I'm excited. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. We, um, ours is a little over two years old now and we've kind of gotten to the swing of it. Cause at first it's a little overwhelming. It's a startup, right? And yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're doing your job on top of, you know, volunteering and trying to get everything going, but, uh, it's been super rewarding. And like I said, to watch these friendships form and to see how close the barriers have been broken down for sure. Um, and, and now there's just a wider range of women that these these young people can reach out to as well that don't feel intimidated to, I mean, they'll call me, hey, I have a question. How would you handle this? And um, so it's been really, really great. Oh, I love it. Um, it's good to see that there are more chapters, you know, in the last few years that have been opening, um, opening up or starting, I guess. Yeah, and, for sure. And Wise is a really, you know, especially if you live in one of those cities that does have a chapter or you live nearby, um, one, it's, it really is a great organization and there are always events and it's just a, like, like you said, a great way to meet people from the other teams or the other, um, sports properties that are in the area that you might not get a chance to meet otherwise. Correct. And I think just other women to lean on, um, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're part of a smaller organization where there aren't a lot of, of women, just having somebody to call, if you're in the PR role, you know, being able to call and say, how did you, how did you guys handle this? You had this great campaign or just being able to share best practices, I think is another, um, is another good, um, outcome of it. Yeah, for, for sure. And then having, you know, women who are super experienced and at the top of the game, it, it's just another way for young women to see what they can possibly be. And I love it. it yeah, me, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been, it's been good. So I guess that's in the short term. And of course, with all of these other big events that we have coming up, um, it'll be, it will be the first, I'm sorry, it will be the first time that we are hosting the college football playoffs. So we want to do a good job with that. And their um, charity of choice is helping teachers. And so Mm -hmm. wanting to connect and do um, as much as we possibly can through that event for our local teachers. Um, So you, you you kind of have to keep your eye on the future. um, uh, Are these events all of a sudden are on top of you and yeah. you don't have enough time to make an impact. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. we're always like, I'm always like, what year is it? Because, you know, I'm always like working four years ahead of, of the year we're in. Oh my gosh. I know. I, and whenever I talk to people at TBSC, they're, I'm like, are you on a clock? And they're like, we're always on a clock. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just which, which clock are you looking at? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, what, um, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, what what do you do by way of self-care? You're clearly involved in a million things. You've, um, you know, you've got, you know, a fairly demanding job. Like, what do you do for yourself? 
what do I do for myself? Oh my goodness. I love spas and I love vacations and I love <laughs> my two dogs and I love my six grandkids. And <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and my husband travels a lot. And like I said, he, um, he's the CEO, CEO of a company up in Harrisburg. So, um, us trying, you know, trying to spend as much time as we possibly can together too, because we've got this long distance thing going, we've been doing it for years. So, um, uh, I don't know. I think that, um, I enjoy my job, but I also enjoy my downtime and just spending, spending, um, making great memories, I guess I should say with, um, with the grandkids and family and doing all those things that are important in life. That's great. What kind of, I'm going to go to the most important question. What kind of dogs do you have? (laughs) (laughs) So I have a beagle. (gasps) Stop it. So we got her as a puppy and she is, um, she's going on 15 years old. Oh my God. (laughs) So so this dog, I could have, um, I probably could have a a Lamborghini by all the money I pay in her medical bills and everything on a monthly basis. She's on all these pills and she's got Cushing's and, um, but she's a sweetheart. And so, um, so anyway, she's, she's my senior beagle. And then I have a little rescue and he is a part Corgi and part Chihuahua. <laughs> and, um, oh my God, senior that sounds well, ridiculous but <laughs> <laughs> with these big, huge ears and, and, oh and he's a senior as well, but he doesn't cost me quite as much. I don't go figure the, the, the purebred dog. Is yeah. <laughs> so I had beagles growing up. Um, we had, a like a, a Beagle Bassett mix um, named Mr. Speckles. Fun. And then um, a purebred, um, which I'm a pure rescue person at this stage in my life. So the fact that like we went and purchased a dog, it's just shocking to me, um, <laughs> especially knowing how much money we didn't have. And we, we did that. Like, it's just so bizarre to me. But um, and her name was Snuggles. Oh, yeah. Very cute. Yeah. And they were the best. Yeah. They were the best dogs ever. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. We had labs um, and same thing. You know, we, 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 you know, we purchase them and you pay a lot of money and, and all of that is great. Um, but it's been kind of fun to do, um, to do a rescue and, and, there, like I said, he is probably healthier <laughs> and, yeah. and, um, and cost me less money than the other one. But I love them both. <laughs> yeah. We, um, all of our cats found us, um, when I was growing up. So we like always had like the two dogs and at least three cats. I mean, it was, we have a tiny house. Like I have, <laughs> you know, I have no idea how we did any of this. There was a rabbit at one point, hamster, all, all at the same time. Yeah, I went through, we, we had kitty pigs when the kids were little. We oh had um, parakeets. I mean, yeah, we've done the, yeah. we've done the rabbits. We've done it all too. Aren't guinea pigs the most ridiculous animals? Like, what are you good for? <laughs> I know. Right? And they really do sound like little piglets squealing when they <laughs> yeah. get loud. I just, I never found the attraction to them. I'm like, eh, I don't know. It's fine. My sister had this hamster that she would like let kind of like, run around on her bed and like it would like sit on her shoulder i'm like this is bizarre <laughs> i don't think i'm really part of this family it's so weird i think well i think parents are like 
how about we just do that? It won't live long. It'll pee some and we don't have to get it. You know, she was a, a teenager. Years. Yeah, she was a teenager and we still had the dogs and the cats. Like it was, this was all happening at the same time. Oh, really? That's and a funny. rabbit. Yeah. It was really weird. The rabbit would like come and hang out. Now this is like beagles are like they go after animals or they're supposed to. Ours right. were so lazy that they cuddled with the rabbit. <laughs> I'm like, that's pretty great this is so so weird I, yeah i grew up in bizarro land um <laughs> <laughs> well, on the cape of all places what a beautiful place to grow up yeah right? yeah mm, yeah for a couple months of the year <laughs> <laughs> it can be pretty cold up there in the winter it's like very cold and gray um and the snow isn't like real snow it like it turns into gray mush real quick um, or it's like just kind of like sleet. And unfortunately, so many things, at least back then, um, I'm not sure how much it's changed now because I don't, I definitely do not go back in the winter. Um, but, you know, everything shuts down after August and then there's not much to do. A lot of people don't have jobs. So it, it's a really interesting locale that people always think of like the Kennedys and how they lived. And because a lot of the homes on the beach are fairly expensive, they, they assume that everybody there has a ton of money. And really those are people's second homes. Right. <laughs> and, right. Where they're just coming in for the summertime. Right. And so it's really, it's a really interesting um, place. You know, I, I, I remember telling someone I mean, I tell people this all the time and we talk about the opioid epidemic up in New England and across this country, right? And I mean, I I knew of somebody who had OD'd from heroin when I was 14. I mean, it had started so early on the Cape. It, it, and unfortunately, there's a very large uh, population of people who are suffering um, with addiction issues because there's a lot of nothing to do um, is part of it. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, I hadn't really thought about, about that um, aspect of it. If you don't have a lot of, if you have a lot of idle time and you don't have a lot to do, right. That can. Right. I mean, I think, I think it all kind of interconnects. You don't, if you don't have a job and you're, you know, you're, you're depressed and you try to self medicate. I mean, that's where some of it comes from. Right. And, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a lot of blue collar jobs. So you get hurt, you try and self-medicate. Um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, and it's not, it's not hard to get addicted to those. Um, if you right. have been injured, it really isn't. And right. that's what they're finding. Right. That's the scary part. You mm-hmm. know, you're taking the medication cause it's been prescribed. You've had an injury or whatever. And right. the next thing you know, yeah. And drinking, I mean, there's a, you know, um, a really large, um, alcohol problem. Um, and again, I think it's just like, what else are you going to do? Um, so I'm really good at being a downer about (laughs) the cave, clearly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's so pretty. My husband's first job was at the Dairy Queen 
I guess there's only one road in kind of like in the Hyannis. main road in. Yeah. And there's a Dairy Queen right as you're as you're entering. Mm-hmm. And it was his first job, summer job. And he said like they were so busy because everybody's stopping for ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, as they're getting, you know, ready to take their summer vacations. But he always tells me the story of that. And it is really pretty there. It, yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. And when I go now, it's it's much different than when I, you know, because then it was like, great, you all think it's beautiful. Get out of my way. I'm late for work. Um, <laughs> yeah. And now yeah, as everybody's, you know, converging. Into your right. Every, everyone's on va- on vacation and I'm not, um, <laughs> which isn't really much different. in when you live in Florida, um, now that yeah, I think about it, very true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now when I go, you know, it's, um, I think, you know, with age, obviously you kind of can, you know, you can accept things, people and places for what they can offer and accept what they cannot. Right. And well, every you know, area has a, has its attributes and sure. its downside. Yeah. I mean, I can't stay in my stepfather's house. I'm allergic to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. There three, there's still three dogs and or three cats, I guess. No, I, I mean it's not the animals. Um, I think it's the honestly, it's probably dust mites. And the room that my sister and I had is actually the attic that was like basically converted into like one big room. And I'm pretty sure it's like you know the same mattresses and all of that stuff. So like <laughs> for when you grew up. <laughs> yeah. So wow. that gets problematic um <laughs> for me because dust mites are are apparently my kryptonite. So Got I've it. learned. Yeah. But it is. It's nice to go and sit on the beach and to to see people and um you know I think if you have the opportunity to go there for vacation, it's a great spot to go. Um and I miss the food every summer. Oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah. The, the really fresh um, seafood and stuff, right? Yeah. There's just something different about New England seafood. Well, it, it's the cold water, right? So it's it's just different. And there's only one place down here that I've learned has that true, authentic New England seafood. And mm-hmm. they fly it in every day. And so every once in a while, I'll... I'll take a drive down to Sarasota to go there when I really need steamers or something like that. But I love Sarasota too. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. It's a really nice place. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Thank you again to Janice for coming on the pod. I really enjoyed speaking with her and love that she's had a path that is a little bit different than what we've heard before. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also find the pod on RadioInfluence.com or LTPFPod.com. And let's get some discussions going. Follow us on Twitter, Insta, and Facebook at LTPFPod. I'm looking forward to getting to know all of y'all more, especially in that Facebook group. This is a Jim Fannin Show Quick Fix on Radio Influence. We have to have some inner core characteristics that our values, our morals, that separate us from everyone else. 
and and I and I think being truthful has been one of those. And I would hate to see our country, the world, uh, change uh, to negativity, lies, falsehoods, spreading rumors maliciously on purpose. This isn't political. This is both sides of the aisle. This is every type of person. But if it's a trend and if it's something that's going to continue, I'm not I'm not sure uh, what kind of place, what kind of country we're going to be. The Jim Fannin Show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.